You're listening to the Truth and Boots podcast. Join me as we search the Bible for truth about our God, for hope to encourage us through hard trials and struggles, and for answers for anyone who questions our faith. The truth of God's word is not fragile, impractical, and only used on special occasions like a pair of stiletto heels. God's word, like a pair of sturdy boots, is meant to be put to work daily and is designed to protect us and help us through the mud, streams, and rocks of life. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm very excited. I have another guest with me. Um, Coming up on April 15th is International Angel Man Day, and it's a day to promote awareness for a um, particular, is it a genetic disorder? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a neurological condition. Yeah, A genetic disorder um, called Angel Man Syndrome. And I have with me my friend, Hannah Black, who has a son with Angelman syndrome. So I thought it'd be the perfect opportunity to have her on to talk about life with Benjamin or in general, a life with a special needs child. So oh, welcome, thanks. Hannah. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited about it. I know you love talking about your son and um, do. sharing with other people information so that they can be supportive or know how to interact with you. So this is kind of selfish also for me because I've heard a lot from you, but I really want to get down to some nitty gritties. So I know better how to interact with Benjamin. And I know that's probably the biggest weakness out there for most people who don't have a, a child like Benjamin. They don't know how to interact with their friends' kids. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I hear that a lot from people and I'm always happy to talk about um, how to interact with Benjamin and just, you know, special needs kids in general, how you interact with them and their families and their siblings. So, um, I guess to start off, define for us what Angelman syndrome is. Okay, sure. So Angelman syndrome occurs when there's a specific gene on the 15th chromosome that's not being read accurately. Um, most commonly it's, it's cause it's deleted. Um, in Benjamin's case, he has a deletion. And that's like 80% of the cases are deletion. Some of them are, um, it's there, but it's not being read properly or it has something imprinted over it. Um, so yes, yeah, so his genotype is deletion positive. He's in the class two deletion, meaning his deletion is not as big as others, but it's just essentially missing that one specific gene. Um, what that gene does is it helps the neurons connect to each other. Um, it helps them accurately pass along their synapses. And um, when it doesn't do that, there are a lot of symptoms that happen. Um, it causes excitability, sleeplessness, um, uh, most commonly seizures. A lot of times seizures start occurring between two and three years of age. Has Benjamin um, had any of those yet? He has not, thankfully. I've I've heard that it's like in 100% of deletion cases, they get seizures. So I, I have this little inkling of hope that maybe he won't, but we're expecting them. We've got rescue meds everywhere and we've got instructions on how to deal with seizures on our fridge. And that's just kind of a way of life for us. We carry it around in our diaper bag and, um, we're prepared. I, I hope they don't happen, but we're prepared for when they do. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, so what are some of his basic symptoms that you, that kind of indicate the, that he has angel man? Well, the biggest one is communication. Um, Benjamin is nonverbal, and most kids with Angelman syndrome are nonverbal, maybe speaking up to five words their entire lives. 
Um, with Benjamin, we have not even heard consonant sounds from him, so we're not expecting him to learn to communicate with his mouth. Um, so we're, we're working with a, a speech therapist on that using um, like adaptive equipment to help with that. Um, that's the big thing right now. He also has um, delayed motor development. So he's almost three and he's um, not walking. He's in a gait trainer, which is kind of like a walker that has additional equipment on it to help keep him stable. So those are the two big things. Um, sleep can be an issue for him, but we're working with him on that and he's doing a really great job. Okay. Um, and I know Sunday, um, you mentioned that there are some new exciting gene therapies out there. Can you share a little bit about oh, yeah. those? Sure. Oh, it's so exciting. So um, in the beginning of this month in December, we went to Chicago and the Foundation for Angelman Syndrome Therapeutics um, always puts on a science summit in Chicago every year in December. And um, this year there were four, four pharmaceuticals that have announced they're starting human clinical trials. Um, so what that means is they have um, come up with gene therapy in such a way that it will cause that missing gene to be read. So we don't know what the risks are. We don't know what the side effects are. That's what the clinical trials are for. But it's exciting to think about a year from now, there will be children with Angelman syndrome who have been treated. And that's really exciting because those that kind of treatment can also be passed over to Alzheimer's and looking at um, helping with autism as well. So, you know, it's, it, it can help other, other diseases as well, which we're really excited about. So that treatment, does that increase um, motor skills? Does that increase um, likelihood of communication? What does that mean for Benjamin? That's a really good question. And that's a really common question in the Angelman community. Nobody really knows that's okay. the answer um, because they've only been able to test it on animals and obviously animals can't speak. And <laughs> yeah. you know, you, you have a limited ability to see how their motor function improves. Um, there is a lot of hope that um, their symptoms will be rescued, meaning if they can't speak that they will be able to, if they can't do things with fine motor or gross motor, that they will be able to even, even older adults with Angelman syndrome. So that's what the clinical trials will kind of determine. And, um, but we, there are a lot of really, really smart neuroscientists working on this and they seem excited <laughs> about it. So we are too. <laughs> oh, good. I'm excited yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I was thinking about in regards to um, just looking at what we we're going to talk about, I noticed you use the term special needs rather than disabilities. Is there a different definition or a connotation and that something that you as a parent prefer different usage of those terms? Sure. Um, that's a really good question. I am not, a, a, you know, really, I don't, I don't mind disabilities. I don't mind the term special needs. I know a lot of parents like using the term different needs. And um, I think there are different levels of sensitivity there. I, I don't mind in between any of them. Um, I'm not gonna be offended if I hear any of those. I think that for other parents, they might have issues with one or the other. I think different needs is probably the most um, politically correct, but it is probably also the kindest to our kids because it's saying that every, every child has needs. These are just different. Right. So I, I tend to go back and forth between special needs, different needs, um, disabilities, you know, it's, it, our kids have them and, and I'm not ashamed of that. And it, it, it doesn't bother me <laughs> anyway, you say it. What is life with Benjamin like for, on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, it's, it's busy, really busy. So I, I also have a, uh, yeah, oh man, 
I also have a four-year-old, Samuel, and um, he he's a handful as well. So Benjamin has a very chill personality, so he's, he's really easy to um, maneuver into different situations. He doesn't seem to have problems with transitions, but um, it's... Anyway, so we, we get him up, we, we feed him, we feed Samuel. It takes a long time because he's, you know, of course, very messy with a you know, lack of fine motor control. But um, we usually have um, one or two therapies a day and then um, that in the morning. And then um, he will sleep all afternoon, which is wonderful. That gives me a chance to kind of hang out with Samuel and give him the attention he needs. Um, and then And then Benjamin will, you know, have dinner and then he just likes to cuddle with us, which is super sweet. Um, he has a really kind of happy disposition, which is common for kids with Angelman syndrome. Um, they tend to just be happy. It doesn't mean that he's smiling all the time, but it does mean in general, he is just a very contented person. And then um, it, he's great about like being in bed and uh, he doesn't fall asleep right away, but he will he will lay in bed and, and just play on his own, which is great. That allows Matthew and I to get a lot of rest. I know one time you were over here and you had Benjamin at Hack and Play and I was amazed how long he was fine in there upstairs and you made the comment yes. of, oh, I should finally go be getting this kid up from his nap. I, I know. And I don't know if it's the fact that he's nonverbal. I don't think it is because he usually lets us know when, you know, there's something bothering him. But he is just contented to just lay there and play and it's really nice sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. Um. I'm actually curious. You mentioned several things that are like challenging for him physically, but does Angel Man have any um, mental challenges for him? Yes and no. So it is considered um, a mental disability. Um, that said, he understands so much of what we're telling him. Mm -hmm. It's just difficult to know that because of the lack of communication and the... Um, problems with his motor skills. Um, I know he understands when I say no. I know he understands when I tell him to go somewhere or not do something. I know he understands when I tell him to look at someone or to play with a toy. Um, but it's just it's just hard to know. I, I know of Angelman kids who have in school have had their teens say, we are assuming this child does not have a mental disability, just a physical one. So that's really exciting to know that there are kids who are doing so well that they aren't even considered to have a mental disability. And, and I hope Benjamin will be that way. And he, he does seem really smart. He catches on to things pretty quickly. Okay. Um, so I know interacting with people can be challenging. I've seen your, um, little, um, is it like a, a tray that has different, um, fruits or vegetables on it when you communicate for what he wants for lunch or things like that. Um, yes. Is that how he typically interacts with family through those those um, devices and cards and flashcards and things? I mean, what 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 is like life like with Benjamin and his family and friends? Oh, that's a that's a good question. So, um, AAC, which is augmented communication, um, usually it means like a symbol language. We are working with him on that. We do a lot of modeling, which means right now we're just kind of showing him. Like I'll say say something and then I'll point to it on the page. He, is, he understands the cause and effect of that, um, but he doesn't quite know what the symbols mean yet. So communicating with friends and family is more body language than it is with the symbols right now, but obviously that's something we're gonna be working on with him so that he can develop that skill in the future. 
um, he is he's super happy to play with kids on his level. And I mean, physical level, like babies laying on the floor and anyone sitting or crawling, he's super excited to go over to them and smile at them and lay on them. That's how he says hello. Kids that are walking around, it's like, he doesn't even know they exist. It's like, whatever. <laughs> like if you have a cool toy, I might go over and take it, but you know, but he, he loves his family. He's starting to um, recognize them, our extended family, which we, we love. It used to be a scary thing for him to see people he didn't know, especially family. And that was really sad for Matthew and I. We wanted him to be able to connect with his grandparents and cousins mm -hmm. and um, aunts and uncles. So we actually printed out people's um, pictures on little cards. And whenever we'd go to someone's house or they were coming over, we would tell them beforehand, look, this is your Aunt Sarah, this is your Uncle Mark, they're coming. And he would just hold that and maybe chew on the picture or something, you know. <laughs> Don't know you love them. He is but three. that really <laughs> Right, yeah, everything goes in the mouth. So that really has seemed to help make him more comfortable with people um especially with our with our family which is really important to us um so how does samuel interact with him <laughs> well <laughs> it means that samuel has no patience for benjamin's <laughs> ben get off me stop touching me stop touching my toy and the funny thing to me is that it's such a typical brother relationship yes with the little one kind of annoying his big brother but he loves him and, and the the older brother taking care of him sometimes but sometimes like wanting him to just go away so it's exciting to see them have that typical brother relationship which Matthew and I weren't even sure if they were going to be able to have that um it just plays out in a different way than mm -hmm. it would with two typical kids yeah, Samuel, he, he will learn as he gets older how to take care of his brother a little bit better. But for now, he's just, you know, he's a normal four-year-old. So. <laughs> um, and I'm curious with um, non-family, I mean, how does he, has he had any other interaction with other kids? I mean, I've seen him in the nursery um, interacting with, like you said, babies, but other kids, how is his interaction with them? Um, that's a good question, and that's a, a a good thing to look for, especially to get an autism diagnosis, because autism is also um, diagnosed. One of the one of the reasons they diagnose is for their their social standing and how they interact with other kids. Um, he is aware of other children, and he is happy to see them and to be around them. Um, he has really good eye contact, which we're really happy for. And just this past week, we were in Raleigh visiting some family, and he actually went over and was super gentle with his little cousin, laid his head on his head, and and we were so excited to see that he was being so sweet and so interactive with other kids. Um, that is something we were hoping for, especially as he's going to be going to school soon, that he would have that tendency to be, you know, relational with other kids. Um, school actually brings me up to where I was wanting to go next. So will S Benjamin need to be going to a, um, a special school designed for children with his challenges, or is he going to be going to a, um, maybe a public school with special classes? W what does that look like? Most likely it will be the second option. Um, we are in the middle of our meetings with the Charlotte Mecklenburg school system. We've already had the first two so that's the initial assessment um just to show that yes he does need some sort of special education and then the in-home assessment where they come in to look at him and just see you know how he acts at home the next one we have is um 
where he will be in a facility playing and there will be a bunch of therapists all watching him to see what his abilities are. And then they will make a recommendation for that, um, for his schooling at that time. So there is a school uptown called Metro and it is a special needs only school. And um, I'm actually hoping he, he doesn't go there because I would love for him to be around typical kids. I would love for him to have some form of inclusion and so I'm, I'm hoping it's that second option you mentioned. I'm hoping it's a, um, a, some sort of school setting where he might be in a special needs class, but maybe be able to spend some time around typical kids as well. So I think that's really important um, for him to be around other kids doing things better than he can so he can see them and try to imitate them, mm-hmm. you know. But it's a scary thing. We'll be going through IEP meetings, and um, we are just hoping that the therapists um, see him the way we do and see his capabilities. And so far they've been really sweet and really working with us, asking us what our fears are. And so we've been able to communicate that with them, which is really encouraging. So does an AS child eventually be able to integrate more if they have mobility and some communications so they can integrate with normal kids in the normal classrooms? Or is he... I think so, Okay, but I'm, I'm not sure. No, <laughs> <laughs> There are some other Angelman families in Charlotte, but most of them are Benjamin's age. So it's hard to get an idea of what it will look like down the road for him. Um, That is my hope. My hope is as he starts developing more and gaining more skills that he will be able to integrate more fully. I would love to see him with other typical kids. I think he would benefit. And, you know, there are studies that have shown that typical kids also do better um, when there are special needs kids in their class. So, I mean, it's a win-win, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and as far as long term, when he, you know, turns 18, 20, whatever, whatever age he is when he graduates from school, do are his um, job and career options limited? Does he have any available? I mean, what, what will that look like for him? That's that's a good question. And that's one we're still trying to figure out as well. Um, I think some of it might hinge on this cure or the treatment that comes out. We'll see what if you know if he's treated if what that will look like for him i it's rare that angelman kids get jobs um many times they're just so severely handicapped that they aren't able to perform the functions especially with the communication um but i mean who are we to limit our kids right mm-hmm. who are we to tell them what they can't do yes so i don't know we'll find out when the time comes <laughs> So that was what life was like for Benjamin, but can you tell me a bit more about what life is like for you with Benjamin in your life, with some of your challenges, some of your um, stresses? So one stress is also having a typical child. And it's so hard when you have a child with different needs to give the attention and time to your other children as they need. Because with Benjamin, there's a lot of working with him Um, trying to teach him with his communication and modeling and trying to work on his gross and fine motor and work on his eating. And there are so many times in Samuel will want to play or he just wants my attention. And I have to say, no, I can't do that right now. And a lot of this, you can, you can kind of see it a lot on the playground. Samuel is constantly asking, mom, chase me, mom, come do this. And I have to say, I'm sorry. Like I'm walking with Benjamin. I'm holding Benjamin right now. And it, it, I, he bears it like a champ. Like Samuel is, he's strong. Um, I think a lot of it is mom guilt on my part too, that I feel like I'm not giving him the time that he needs. And so I just try to spend that time with him when I can, when Benjamin naps 
or when I tuck him in at night. Um, it's, it's something that I worry about. And I think that every parent of a special needs child, when they also have a typical kid, you, you worry about that. If you're, if you're, other child is getting like the love and attention that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as Benjamin goes, it's, um, I am the one who loves him most <laughs> and his, and his dad, you know, so that is a, um, a burden on us because he can't really speak for himself. So when it's talking to doctors about treatments or to therapists about what we want his care to look like, that's all on us. I know when we, um, first got our diagnosis and our services coordinator um, came to our door and he said, okay, tell me what services you want. And I was like, I have no idea. Like, you're going to have to tell me, like, you're the one who's coordinating all our therapies. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, you, you slowly realize that burden that you have to be the advocate for your child. You have to, you're the one who knows them best. And so it's something Matthew and I have talked about a lot. We've done a lot of reading on, especially with school coming up. Um, what we want his care to look like because we are going to be the ones having to fight for it. And thankfully up to this point, we've not had to fight too hard for that. We've had a really good team, therapists and doctors who've listened to us and, 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 you know, want to help Benjamin to the best of their ability. And I know that's not always the case. Um, yeah, so that's for Samuel and Benjamin. And then just with um, Matthew, it's difficult being parents of a special needs kids. And I know that the divorce rate is, is pretty high for parents who have kids that are diagnosed with a disorder. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a difficult thing. And when we got Benjamin's diagnosis, we had just finished going through the marriage book in our Sunday school class. And we felt the Lord had prepared us for that moment so well. And we didn't even realize it. Um, we had been discussing our faults with each other and our schedules and trying to figure out like, how can we relate better to one another? And in what ways are we only concerned about ourselves and what ways can we care about each other? And having that going into his diagnosis was just amazing. Cause I felt like it just set the whole tone going into, um, things we would not allow to come between us. And, um, the Lord has really been gracious to us in that way. Um, allowing us to care for each other. Um, and part of it is because we're able to focus on him first. I think that that's a big part of it. Um, one other thought I had with what your life is like, I know we're going to get to this in the, in the second episode, but what are some of the day-to-day emotions that you have to deal with as um, being the mom of Benjamin? Um. Well, frustration is a big one. Okay. <laughs> I'm frustrated at a lot of times at myself that I can't help him more. I'm, I get a little frustrated at him, which I shouldn't <laughs> like you should be doing this. I've showed you how to do it so many times. Um, and that is something that I need to curb. Um, uh, yeah, again, we'll be talking about that, that later on. Um, another one is the mom guilt. Like I get that big time. Like if only I was doing it more helping him more. If only I was able to spend more time with Samuel and, um, and that can be dangerous because it's all me centered. Um, and that's obviously something I'm working through as well. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the times it's just a very loving relationship because Benjamin is such a happy, loving boy. He likes to give cuddles. He likes to give kisses. And I think that makes things a lot easier when I know that 
okay, he's not like purposefully trying to ruin my life. <laughs> <laughs> like he just loves his mom and he loves his brother and he loves his dad and he wants to spend time with us. And if I look at it that way, that kind of changes things. It sounds like a typical mom. Cause oh, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. we have frustrations with our kids of not learning stuff or not remembering yeah. stuff. And mm -hmm. times we just want to um, put them in the bedroom, lock the door and, you know, yes. go go drink our hot liquid someplace else where we can't hear them, deal with yes, them. Yes, exactly, exactly. And there are times when I'm just like, you know what, Benjamin, I don't know what you need right now, so you're just going to sit in your bed for a little while until you calm down. And, and usually that helps, but it also gives me the break I need. You know, every mom every now and then just needs a little bit of a break. <laughs> yes. So do you get breaks often or is it is it just like your normal mom thing of, hey, I need to make time for myself? Well, it is nice in the afternoons because Benjamin does take a pretty long nap. Um, usually that Samuel gets, you know, a little bit of screen time and I'm able to do things for me. Um, so, you know, it's entertainment, it's, you know, self-care, it's reading, it's, it's, you know, it's whatever I need to do in the moment to be, in, <laughs> to be, you know, resting. Um, sometimes it's, a lot of times it's naps, mm -hmm. <laughs> like 50% of the time it's naps. Um, I think that sleep is very important when it comes to taking care of our children because uh, I know for a lot of angelman moms they don't get much a lot of typical moms don't get much and that really changes our outlook on how we how we deal with our children and how we look at ourselves and how we how we interact with God um, how we can quiet our mind and speak truth to ourselves I think that's um, directly related to sleep mm-hmm so what I'm kind of hearing from you is that life with a special needs child is kind of like normal life with a child, except cranked up in some areas to yes. overdrive. Yes. So it's it we normal moms over here with, well, I don't know if I'm considering myself normal. Typical. Debate that. Typical. <laughs> My typical. <laughs> I'm not even typical. Hey, <laughs> but the rest of us moms who don't have a child like Benjamin, can relate to you in some of these emotions and some of these oh, yeah. challenges but i mean you definitely have a lot more of a challenge in some of these areas so i was just sitting here thinking hey this kind of sounds familiar it's just a lot more challenging for you in certain areas yes and it's just like what i said with benjamin and samuel how they have that typical brother relationship it just looks different I feel like it's the same with parenting a typical uh, a special needs child. It's just like parenting any other child. It just looks a little bit different. Yeah. Um, so since we're talking about now um, how we as um, friends can relate to you, um, what are some things that you would just like to share of um, things that you like to see from other people um, and the way they interact with your child? Sure. Um, I think that the underlying principle of interacting with any child with different needs is to be willing to be uncomfortable. And I think that a lot of times we don't interact with people who are different because of fear, fear of looking stupid, fear of not saying the right thing, fear of causing offense. And I think that if we can get over that fear, that that uncomfortableness that um, it will really change the way we interact with people with disabilities. So next time someone comes up to you and they're obviously there's something, you know, that's different about them and they're, you know, 
doing something different. They come up to you and give you a hug and you've never seen them before in your life. Like be willing to be a little bit uncomfortable and give them a hug back. Say hi, you know. Um, another way is to when you, especially if you have a friend who um, is going through something difficult like a diagnosis or, um, you know, their child's in the hospital or something like that, um, is a specific offer. Like not the general, if you need something, let me know, because we can all say that. Um, and I've, I've personally had times where I've had people tell me that. And when I come to them and say, hey, I need this help with Benjamin. I have a clinic visit or I have a doctor's appointment. Can you help with Samuel or something like that? I've gotten the, well, I can't, sorry. You know, and I understand everyone has something going on in their mm-hmm. lives, but it's good to be specific. Like, I would love to get you a meal the next time you have a doctor's appointment, or I would love to watch Samuel the next time you do this. You know, it's something like specific, a specific offer and really mean it. Be willing to, when they take you up on it, be willing to say, yes, I'm happy to do that for you. You know, it might put you in a little bit of a difficult situation. Like, well, I'm busy myself, but it's always, you can always make time for someone else, especially when they need that help. So that's another way that you can help, you know, someone who has, um, you know, some a kid with, you know, different, different abilities. Um, yeah. I know personally, I can tell when someone is making an effort by how I feel about apologizing with them. For instance, if Benjamin, he likes to pull hair. And he's usually pretty good if you say, you know, let go of my hair, or he'd love to give big slobbery kisses. Um, be the kind of person who the parent doesn't have to apologize for that. You know, say, that's okay. I understand. It doesn't bother me. You know, um, I can, I can tell, I, I've actually made an effort with my friends and family to not apologize for Benjamin's behavior when it's not wrong. Um, if he's crawling all over someone, I don't say I'm sorry now. I just assume if they don't like it, that they will remove him <laughs> they will take him off of their person um so just be the kind of person that a caretaker does not have to apologize so much for um yeah and just interacting um kids with different needs still have needs for playing and interaction with others and um they want to talk to you they want to hang out with you and um a lot of times it's a lot harder when you're standing above them or um you're not near them, at least go over, say hi, get on their level, speak to them, play with them. If you have kids, encourage your kids to interact with them. Um, You're setting the example for your kids by how you react in that situation. And I know that there are, um, going back to that fear factor, there are parents who don't want to interact with different needs kids because they don't want to cause offense. Mm -hmm. So what that looks like is they see someone and they're not sure And so they tell their child, let's move over and do this thing. We will let that child play with this toy. We'll go over and play with that. They think they're helping, but what that child is learning is, ooh, I need to be separate from them. So just being willing to be interactive with other kids, and that really sets the tone for your own kids. Does that all make sense? Yes, and that's actually really, um, I guess, eye-opening for how I've seen myself behave in the past, because, I mean... I'm naturally a very shy person when it comes to interacting with new situations, believe it or not. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would find that hard to believe. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'm one that steps back and analyzes and figures out what is appropriate in this situation. So just being willing to let down my own barriers and be embarrassed by how I interact with other people and being open, um, 
that that would de definitely be something that I will work on myself. And you know what? I guarantee you, if you go over to a child or a person with a disability and you quote unquote embarrass yourself, their parent is not going to be embarrassed for you. They're going to be so happy and excited <laughs> that someone is interacting with their child instead of walking away and trying to shush their own children up, you know? So don't even be worried about that. Everyone will be very thrilled to have a reaction like that. Yes. I know one other thing I was thinking about is, um, I've actually never talked to you about Benjamin. And I remember thinking, hey, I need to track her down at church, but mm -hmm. it's never been a conversation we've had. And I think part of it is I just, you know, am so distracted by other things at church when we get there. But I think also, I don't want to say the wrong thing and hurt your yes. feelings. I hear that all the time. Yep, you're not the only one. <laughs> so what would be a recommendation for someone like me who just doesn't want to hurt your feelings? Um, and I do have questions. Yeah, well, for the most part, and I can't speak for every parent of a child with different needs, but I can say for me, I love talking about Benjamin. I will tell you anything and everything that you ask for and that you don't ask for. So I am not going to be offended at all if you come up to me and say, hey, what's going on with Benjamin? Like, I'm noticing some, like, you know, what's going on with him? I'm happy to talk about him. Um, how was his last doctor's visit? You know, how are things going on at home? Those are kind of innocuous questions that they won't cause offense to anyone, usually. Mm -hmm. And they're easily answered and you can get an idea of where Benjamin is at. Okay. Um, so what are some special blessings that you've seen um, or received from friends and church members? Um, oh, man, there have been so many. <laughs> <laughs> I know that when we got our diagnosis, it was quite the grieving process. And I had, I've been around people before who have had diagnoses like this. My sister had a little boy with Down syndrome. And I did not understand at all the pain and the grief that is a part of it. It's almost like someone died. Um, and in my mind, someone had died. The person that I thought Benjamin would be was not going to be who he was. Mm -hmm. And I, I was unaware of the pain that that involved. And pretty much for the first couple of weeks, Matthew and I were just in a blur, like, the idea of cooking, the idea of cleaning, even playing with Samuel, it was, there was no way we could do it. And I remember that first week at church and my sister told me to sit in the back and you're going to cry a lot. People will come up to you. And I was prepared for that. But I had so many people come up to me and tell me they were praying for me. I had so many people tell me about family members that they have that have special needs or that have symptoms just like Benjamin. And I had no idea. I had no idea. And I felt like I had had my head buried in the sand for the past several years being at church because I did not know these people well enough <laughs> to know that they had family members like this. And um, there were people who came up to us and gave us gift cards for meals. There were people who sent us letters, who sent us cards, even weeks later sending us gift certificates for meals and we are still using those and i cannot tell you how helpful they are for those first couple of weeks they were amazing because i like we pretty much ate out every meal because like there was no way we were like zombies we were not cooking mm -hmm. um 
but also now when we have like late doctor's visits or when we go to Raleigh to the Angelman Clinic, we can use those gift cards and that has been amazingly helpful. Um, just the idea that, that people want to learn about him. I, there were several people at church that came up to me and told me they had watched YouTube videos about it. They had researched it. I think it, it, there's a family in our church that told me they explained it to their Sunday school class, the kids in their Sunday school class, so that those kids would know what Angelman syndrome was like. And I cannot tell you what that meant to me, that these people were wanting to know what it was like so that they could they could help us and they could um, understand Benjamin. So our, our church family is absolutely amazing. Um, is that usual? I mean, have you heard from other people in the Angelman community or um, just interaction with other people? Is that usual for a church to be that supportive? I'm just curious. Um, that's a good question because I'm, I'm not sure since it hasn't happened in my experience, but just talking to other people, I, I don't think that that's very common. I think after an initial diagnosis, often there's, you know, offers of prayer. And then there was one person in our church who told us, this is nice, but it won't last. Like they won't, people won't remember. And I was surprised at how people did remember and how a lot of times people ask me for updates on him, ask me how he's doing. Um, so yeah, that, su that surprised me because I was not expecting that. I think that, that this is a, a different a different kind of church. It's a church that is willing to make concessions for him and to help him where he can, where they can so that I can be in the service. I think it will look different as he gets older, going into the Sunday school classes. Mm -hmm. But just being in nursery, having people ask me, what what can we do for Benjamin? How can we help him? Just for them to have that mindset. So for anyone listening who may have um, a child and are in a church who don't have that support group, is there any advice that you could give them in interacting with their fellow believers? Oh man, that's a really good question. I would say more, I would talk to more toward the church people than I would to the person with a child with special needs. Okay. To understand that when this family is not coming to church often, it's probably because they're extremely tired. Um, and when they do come to church, they might not be in the surface because they're dealing with their child. Um, it's That's a good question because the person... The, the caregiver is not responsible yes. for the reactions of the other church members. Yes. I I wouldn't tell them to leave and go to another church, but <laughs> they might want to consider going somewhere where they can get support for their child while they're in the service. That's that's a very, a very big issue. Um, are there any other things that have been a blessing for you that you can think of that you want to share that you have? <laughs> sure. Um I I have a neighborhood friend, and um, one thing that she consistently does that is amazing is she always invites me to do things with her. Her She has a three-year-old son, and he and Samuel are good friends. She knows when we have therapy days. She knows when we're not available to do things, and she still asks. And I think that's a big thing for caregivers is a lot of times they feel left out because people aren't trying to be mean. They just assume that you're busy and you can't make it. Or they assume that, oh, Benjamin, well, not Benjamin specifically, but the child in general, they might not be able to do what the other kids are doing. So they might not like it. They might not want to come. And so they're left out of invitations. 
so I think the biggest, one of the biggest things you can do is to include caregivers and um, the kids with different needs, include them, even if they can't do what the other kids are doing, even if you think they're going to be busy and not being able to come. Just that invitation, it's, it's so encouraging to know that someone actually wants me there. You know, yes. someone wants my child there. They want to interact with us. So that's one thing to, that would be good, you know, to remember to do, um, to maybe, maybe to do differently. Um, another is to just, in general, um, just especially when you, if you know someone who's getting a recent diagnosis, and this could, you know, extend to anyone, cancer or anything, who have gotten any sort of special diagnosis, sometimes they just want company. And um, I know for us that was a big thing. Just We just wanted company. We wanted people to just be with us. And a lot of times it's hard to know because I'm sure some people would react differently. They would want to. That would be yes. <laughs> You just want to be by yourself and to just to think yes. about it yourself. Yes. Yeah. I, so that I might just, be. I just wanted different. Tim when um, I miscarried, so I didn't want yeah. anyone else around. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it's it's different from person to person. For us, it was we we wanted people around to talk to, and just sharing that burden was really helpful for us. But of course, everyone processes grief differently. Yeah. Um, so are there any resources that people can go to to get more information about Angelman syndrome or if they want more ideas on how to interact or um, ideas for parents out there who are listening with special needs children? Sure, sure. Um, well, for Angelman specifically, um, there is a website for the Angelman Syndrome Foundation and it's just angelman.org. And they have a lot of good information about Angelman syndrome. If you want to learn about the genetic um, testing and the genetic therapies coming up, which is amazing. That is through FAST's website, and that is cureangelman.org. Um, they've got a lot of cool things on there to explore, and um, a lot of science that's kind of dumbed down <laughs> so that we can <laughs> understand it, which is really helpful. Um, so that's on Angelman specifically. As far as um, special needs in general, there are actually a couple of books that have been really helpful for me. Um, Heather Avis is an author. She is um, a mother of three children, all of which were adopted. Um, two of them have Down syndrome, and she has written two books. The first one's called The Lucky Few, and the second one is called Scoot Over and Make Some Room. And those, both of those books have been phenomenal. Um, she is a, a Christian, she's a believer, and um, just learning from her experiences with choosing to parent kids with special needs, um, and then how that has affected her relationships with you know, her husband and her families and, 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 and God, you know, so those, that, those are both really good books. Um, there's another book written by um, Andrew and Rachel Wilson called The Life We Never Expected, and they have two children with autism, um, pretty severe autism, and they're, in, they're um, an English couple. They live in Britain, so that's another really good book to read. Um, that was actually recommended to me by someone in our church. Um, so that was a really good one. And then if you're into podcasts, there is a <laughs> podcast called Advocate Like a Mother. And that has a lot of really good information on there. Um, I've recently been listening to the ones on um, the IEP meetings, the individualized education plans. And um, since we you know, have Benjamin going to school soon. So that has a lot of good, really good um, practical information on it. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'll get you to send me all those um, resources so I can put them in the show notes for those listening. Also come back next podcast and Hannah will be sharing some lies that she believes or has believed um, and that she's had to combat. 
And that podcast is for everyone. Um, even if you don't have a child with special needs, it's important that you understand how someone like Hannah feels um, so that you can mentor your friend, your family member when they start sharing their heart with you. Um, and you can encourage them as iron sharpening iron in the Lord. Thank you.